0: Thank you for listening to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Podcast We trust that this podcast is an encouragement to you If there is any way that we can pray for you Or if you have any questions about Jesus and why we serve Him Please email us at info at southsidesbc.org Again, that's info at southsidesbc.org Thanks for listening Well this morning we are here to celebrate the resurrection, amen? We're here to celebrate the rex- resurrection, and this morning, I want us to talk about the resurrection. I want to talk to you this morning about the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? We come this morning to celebrate that, but the question is, is it something that's just a feel-good story? Is it something that we say, oh wow, you know, this would be great if there was power over death, and, but, or is it... Real? Is it an actual fact? Is it something that actually happened? Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, tells the story of talking with a friend of his who happened to be an atheist. And he asked this friend, he said, What do you believe is the bottom line when it comes to Christianity? Believe it or not, his friend, even an, being an atheist, responded to this. He said, that's easy. The bottom line of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, wow, that's, that's great. His friend then added and said this. He said, if the resurrection is true, remember this guy was an atheist, he said, if it's true, he said, then so are a number of other things. If the resurrection is true, he said, then it means that there is a God. It means that Jesus is that God. It means that the Bible is true, that heaven and hell are real, and that Jesus makes the difference whether you go to one or the other. Friends, I would agree with him. It's amazing how sometimes unbelievers can make things so much clearer even than we as believers can at some time. But friends, the bottom line is it boils down to this. Our faith, Christianity itself, rises or falls, stands or falls, on the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If He's risen, then that makes a big difference in our life. Amen? And our lives ought to live like it. It's uh, the difference in the world. No resurrection? no Christianity. I want you to look at this verse with me if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17. Even the Apostle Paul agrees with it. The Apostle Paul preaches the gospel, preaches Christ crucified and resurrected. But here's what he says. He says, but if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It is worthless. You are still in your sins. Friends, if Jesus is not risen from the grave, then our faith is in vain. What's the point in it? If Jesus was not who He said He was, and if He did not do what He said He did. Our faith hinges on whether Jesus actually rose from the grave or not. Now, we're here this morning. We've been singing about Jesus. We've been lifting up His name. Obviously, we believe that this really did happen. We believe that He did. I want you to look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 28, as we read Matthew's account of the resurrection. Verse 1, Matthew 28 He says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. There were some others with them as well, but it's significant. We'll talk about this a little bit later, that it was women who the Scripture reports were the first to come and see the empty tomb. Verse 2, amen from the ladies. That's right. Amen. Thank you, ladies. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Many asked the question, how did the stone get rolled away? How did it get out? Here, Scripture tells us it is a supernatural moving of the stone. The stone was a heavy stone. Verse 3, his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Uh, paralyzed, did the angel knock him out? Who knows exactly? Um, nevertheless... We know what the scripture says here verse 5 but the angel answered and said to the women Do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified verse 6 says He is not here for he is risen As he said Come see the place where the Lord lay He invites them in invites them to come see it he says and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee there you will see him behold I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Can you imagine that, you know? Fear and great joy. Here they were, excited. What in the world have they seen? And where they ran to bring his disciples' word. Verse 9 says, And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Friends, here in these first 10 verses of Matthew chapter 28, we have what is, we have described here what is either the greatest miracle of all time or the greatest ruse and hoax of all time. It is is either something that demands our greatest attention or it is something that we can just dismiss as ridiculous. The question that every single person has to decide is which is it? What are you going to do with the resurrection? Are you going to believe it? Do you believe that this actually, literally happened, that Jesus rose from the grave? Or do you dismiss it with some other explanation? This morning, I want us to examine the facts. Here's the bottom line is, was anybody there? Anybody there, literally? No. Nobody was there. We weren't there. So Nobody can say with 100% certainty that you were there or not, but we can look at the evidence. We can look at the facts and we can say, based on what we know, is it plausible, more plausible that this happened or that it didn't? I believe there is overwhelming evidence that it did. So this morning, I wanna, the sermon's going to be a little bit different than normal. Um, we want to talk about this. I've taken several sources Josh McDowell, Danny Aiken, as I mentioned, David Platt and kind of compiled the information we're going to talk about this morning to help us answer this most important question: Did Jesus really rise from the dead? First of all, friends, as to Jesus' bodily resurrection, there are basically three options. Number one, number one, the first option is that it is false. When you look at the resurrection, did it really happen? You could conclude it's false. It's a hoax. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, and 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 someone, many people say the disciples pulled off the greatest hoax of all time. You could come to that conclusion. You may come to say it's false. The next next conclusion you may come to is you may say it's fiction. Kind of where a lot of people land today. Ah, oh, it's just a myth. Yeah, I, I, there was a, I believe there was a real person named Jesus who lived, but but his followers embellished the the facts of the story, and they. They they embellished the stories. And over time, these stories grew and grew and uh, became more fantastic, if you will, and to what we know and what the church teaches today. You can conclude that it's either false, you can conclude that it's fiction, that it's more like a myth, or you can conclude that it is fact, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that he really was who he said he was, God in the flesh, and this event is the greatest event and miracle of all time. Now... Those are the only three options you have. Fact, false, or fiction. Which is it? So first of all, here's what I want us to do. I want us to examine the facts. What do we know? What do we know to be true? Uh, There are certain historical facts that virtually all scholars agree on that no reasonable person can really deny. And let's look at them this morning. Number one, what are the facts? The facts are, first of all, that a man named Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross approximately 2,000 years ago. In fact, it's even um, uh, referred to in several non-Christian sources about Jesus' crucifixion. Number two, it's the fact that he was buried in a tomb nearby. That shouldn't surprise us, right? When you die, guess what? Some way, shape, or form, you're going to be buried. So it was Jesus? Number three, the third fact is that Jesus' disciples weren't expecting his death. In fact, if you look at that, they were kind of expecting this this. Physical reign of Jesus, uh, that things were going to lead into that. So they weren't expecting his death, and because of that, they were immediately thrown into a state of despondency, despair. Oh my goodness, what in the world is going on here? Number four, the first fourth fact we can say is this: friends, that Jesus's tomb was discovered to be empty three days later, and no one could produce his dead body to prove otherwise. I'm going to talk about this several times, but th- listen. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. They began to preach Jesus and Him crucified and resurrected right there in Jerusalem. If they could have produced a body to quell that story, don't you think they would have? Number five. Fifth fact is that Jesus' disciples went from fearful and despondent to bold witnesses of the resurrection. In fact, we have recorded in early church history that many of them, most of them, became martyrs for the faith and actually died believing and died preaching the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave. Number six, along with that, there were two other men who were formerly not believers. One of them is James, the book we're, pre- we're pre- talking through and, and going through on Sunday mornings, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, in the Scriptures, it tells us that all of his brothers, at first none of them believed in him. Also Saul, who actually persecuted Christians and was there when Stephen was stoned. Both of these men were radically converted And not only began um, teaching that he was uh, risen from the grave, but they began preaching this. And they began to be radical proponents of the faith. Number seven. The fact is, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the heart of what was preached as the gospel from the beginning. One of the biggest um, falsehoods that's going around today among, uh, just in, in the world, is, is that it, Christianity is a myth, that these stories were embellished and, and Jesus was made in to be more than he was meant to be. Friends, that was false. What, what an honest person needs to acknowledge is that it wasn't embellished over time. These claims were made from the very beginning. The, from the very beginning, the disciples preached that Jesus rose from the grave. Read the book of Acts. Number eight, something you may never have thought about before, but Sunday became the day of worship for the church Instead of Saturday, they they were Jews, remember? The early church, most of them were Jews, and so uh, as they became Christians, they went from their Sabbath being on Saturday to worshiping on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Now, Number nine, we need to acknowledge the fact that almost 2,000 years ago, an entirely new religious movement called Christianity, known as the church, began in Jerusalem. The very city where Jesus was crucified and buried. And almost immediately, hundreds of people started claiming that they'd seen him risen from the grave and alive. A claim that could have gotten them killed. And that movement has now grown to make up about one-third of the world's population. Friends, here's the deal. Any attempt to explain away the resurrection has to account for these facts. Those are the basic facts. And you may argue a few of those, what have you, but those are the basic facts, things that we know to be true. Nevertheless, many people have come up, many scholars have come up with various alternative theories to try to explain, explain away the resurrection as something other than Jesus really rising from the grave. I want us to take a look at some of those this morning, uh, some alternate explanations for the resurrection. If you've got your outline this morning, start writing. Number one, one alternate explanation or alternate theory, you may say, well, I don't know that I believe that Jesus actually died on the cross. There's actually a couple of versions to this, and it comes in a couple of different forms. Uh, One form is the Muslim explanation. Muslims say that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, but that the person who died on the cross just looked like Jesus, but it was really someone else. Even to the fact, maybe the, maybe it was one of the disciples and they just pretended to be Jesus and they dressed up, oh, you know, just or as a lookalike and they just made him be up to and then that was kind of a ruse. Look, can I just say, really? Really? Is that the best you got, Muhammad? Um, listen, here's the, here's the irony of that. Uh, Muslims, Islam teaches that Jesus was a good teacher, a good moral teacher, and a, even a good prophet. And so their own theory does not... Mesh with each other. What they're saying is that a good man, a prophet of God, took part in deceiving people like that. Their own theory doesn't hold water. Another version of uh, the, the explanation that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross is known as the swoon theory. How many of you heard of the swoon theory? Heard of that before? Um, it simply says that Jesus didn't actually die. In other words, he didn't really die. He just kind of was out of it. He fainted and was unconscious, and they just thought he was dead. And then after they put him into the tomb, he then, he then resuscitated, not from the dead, but just because he was fainted and passed out. And then he did it. Now, listen, there are several, um, this is implausible on several levels, I believe. First of all, it assumes that Jesus could suffer everything that he did. Think about that. Flogging, beating, beating. Um, was uh, was crown on his head, nails in his hands and feet, and hanging on a cross for nine hours, and then he, that he would only pass out, and then later on resuscitate, and be, then be strong enough to push a, a stone that took many men to roll in front of the stone, that he could push that away and then come out. Um, it, that, that's a lot. It also, again, attributes trickery to a man an individual that most agree was a good prophet or a good teacher of good morals. And third, the gospel accounts make a strong point to emphasize that Jesus was actually dead. In fact, the gospels tell us that uh, one of the soldiers took a spear and thrust it into his side, and that water and blood came out, a sign that his heart really had ruptured. This theory, friends, of Jesus didn't really die. Doesn't hold water. I don't believe it accurately um, is plausible to believe that. So what's another theory? Second theory some people come up with is the wrong tomb theory. The wrong tomb. This theory, proposed by British scholar Kersop Lake, says that the women went to the wrong tomb that morning. They they mistakenly they got mixed up. You know you know how bad women are with directions, right? And stuff. And so. hey, this is not me. I didn't come up with this theory. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you what what some others have come up with, and these ladies went to the wrong tomb. Here's what it assumes. It assumes, and maybe this is not that hard to believe, that the disciples followed them to the wrong tomb. What it also assumes is that once they started preaching the resurrection, why wouldn't the ones who knew where the right tomb was, why wouldn't the Jewish leaders, why wouldn't the Roman authorities just point out, hey, guys, wrong tomb. Here it is over here. That theory also, I believe, is pretty ridiculous and doesn't hold water. Number three, another theory some people have is the stolen body theory or the moved body theory. All right, I've kind of combined a couple of them into one here just to kind of move along. But there's several versions uh, that, are, that are kind of similar here. Uh, one version says that the disciples stole the body. In fact, this was the first explanation that the Jewish leaders tried to... Used to explain away the resurrection. Uh, look with me, if you will, back in Matthew chapter 28. All right, come on. Are we good? There we go. All right. Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. This is the first theory or explanation they tried to use. Verse 11 says this: Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Friends, I don't know about you, but this seems highly unlikely on several points. Are we to believe that these men, who by all accounts were timid, dejected, hiding, scared after the crucifixion, all of a sudden came up with this brave and daring plan to go and to steal Jesus' body out of the grave, to get past the guards and so forth, and then that they actually pulled it off. Also, it would run contrary to everything we know about the disciples. You know, you could say, you know, if these men went on to make a lot of money from the gospel or to... Um, get to some position or so forth, you'd say, okay, they did this for this reason. But here, these men, who supposedly, some claim, stole the body, went on to preach to be kind to one another and love one another and forgive one another and treat others the way you want to be treated. Are we supposed to believe that the same man, that everything we know about them, that's what they preached, lied and stole the body and pulled the greatest hoax of all time? One other thing, friends, not to mention, that... All 11 disciples left. um, uh, Are we to believe that they all died for a lie? According to church tradition, the 11 apostles that were left, with the possible exception of John, all died a martyr's death. In other words, they all died for their faith, for preaching the gospel. Now, um, many have died for a lie that they thought was the truth. But who would die for a lie that you know is a lie. I don't know about any. There's another version of this theory that says the body was moved or relocated by the Jewish leaders or by the Romans. Again, if this were so, why would they not have, when they started preaching the resurrection, say, hey guys, we moved the body. Um, Some of these theories are a little bit, um, they don't take into account all of the facts. And what about the resurrection appearances? This theory has no explanation for that. Number four, the next theory. The disciples were delusional or hallucinated. Several versions of this theory. One saying that the disciples were so distraught after everything that happened that they hallucinated or had visions that Jesus was alive. If that were so, then why wouldn't the Jewish leaders then produce his body, right? Some even say that Jesus used post-hypnotic suggestion to condition his disciples to hallucinate these experiences. The problem with this is that Jesus was seen by many people. Listen, if there were just a few people that claimed that he was risen and our faith was built just on that, no, there were many people. Many people at different times. Paul says even 500 brethren at once saw Jesus. There is no such thing as mass hallucination. Hallucinations, by their very nature, are individual um, uh, subjective experiences and they occur personally and individually, not as a group. They're just not unlikely. They're impossible. Friends, this theory doesn't hold water either. Number five, the fifth theory is that Jesus rose only in spirit form. That he only rose only in spirit form. It teaches that there was no bodily resurrection, but he just returned and, and rose, his spirit rose. Now, this theory maybe sounds like, oh, what's wrong with that, Pastor? Well, the reality is that if Jesus only rose in spirit form, then does that prove that he has power over physical death? No. It also, what does that mean for us? The Bible promises that not only did he rise from the dead, but he's going to resurrect our dead bodies one day. That's a sermon for a different day. But the reality is, friends, that Jesus rose in bodily form. The the theory that Jesus rose only in spirit form is held, uh, probably the, the most popular group that holds this is the Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach that Jesus was created by God as the Archangel Michael, and that while he was on earth, he was just a man. But after his death on the cross, God restored him in spirit form only. The problem is this ignores multiple facts in the Scriptures. How many of you remember that, I think it's the book of John, tells us that after Jesus was resurrected and with his disciples, they gave him fish to eat. Remember that? Okay. Okay. Remember that Thomas actually put his hand in his... Uh, in Jesus, when Thomas didn't believe, Jesus said, put your hand in my hands and in my side. Thomas actually felt him. Friends, Jesus' resurrection wasn't just a spirit resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. Then there's number six. And that is what is known as the copycat theory or the myth theory. This theory has experienced a, a, a pretty uh, a resurgence today. Um, in the internet tales and even in books, here's what it says. Basically, says something like this: that nothing in Christianity is original; that the different stories that have been embellished and so forth, and particularly the resurrection, is borrowed. That Christianity borrowed the resurrection myth from other mystical religion. The reality is upon. Invest deeper investigation, which we don't have time to go into this morning, the reality is that when you look at those things, there is nothing like Christian resurrection in um, other tales. And, and whether it's Greek gods, Roman gods, or what have you, Christianity uh, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is unique, and uh, most all legitimate contemporary scholars agree with that. In fact, I want to give you a quote by um, a scholar by the name of T.N.D. Mettinger. Concludes in his most recent scholarly treatise about this entitled The Riddle of the Resurrection. Look at what he says. He says, There is, as far as I am aware, no plain and obvious evidence that the death and resurrection of Jesus is a mythological construct. In other words, he's saying there is no obvious link between Jesus' death and resurrection and some myth that, that was, it was borrowed from. There's no connection drawing on the myths and rites of the dying and rising gods of the surrounding world. While studied against the background of Jewish religious belief, the faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus retains its unique character in the history of religion. In other words, what he's saying is there is no copycatting. There is no borrowing. It is not a myth that has developed. The resurrection of Jesus is unique because it is real and it records what? Happen Now, there's others. We could go through a lot of these others, but here's the deal about all of these theories. All these theories, all these explanations, uh, seek in some way to explain away the supernatural. People come at this from a viewpoint of, I don't believe that anything supernatural can happen, so how can I explain the events in the world that explain this away? And uh, these theories prefer any naturalistic theory over a supernatural one. But here's the problem. Each one of these theories ignore, as I've tried to point out, some of the basic facts that we know to be true. So, since none of these theories can adequately explain or uh, are plausible to believe of the, for, the, for the events that happened around the resurrection, I believe that we can conclude that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And I want you to summarize really pretty quickly. I know there's 13 things here I want to summarize with. The, summarize the evidence Um, for the resurrection. here we go. Number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. Sorry, I'm kind of like I got stuck there. Um, Number one is this, friends. All of those alternative explanations fail to adequately explain the event. I I don't believe they're plausible. Um, They are ways in which people have explained this away. But listen, I believe if you honestly look at those, it takes as much or more faith to believe in one of those theories as it does to believe what the Bible teaches as the truth number two the second evidence I believe is simply the empty tomb itself all these theories have tried to explain away Uh, the empty tomb still stands as unexplained by anything other than Jesus really rising from the dead number three is the inability of the Jewish leaders and the Romans uh, to disprove the message of the empty tomb don't you think they would have if they could have listen the last thing they wanted was a movement following a leader who had been resurrected that could possibly overtake them or something. Um, Of course, they had all that stuff in their mind. Number four, how about the post-resurrection appearances? All right, Caroline, you may have to help me out here. There we go. Scripture records Jesus' appearance to many people at many different times and multiple people uh, at once on multiple occasions. It's hard to ignore unless you just want to take the Scriptures and throw them out completely. Number five, the highly, un, highly unlikely nature of mass hallucination. As we've already talked about, it's virtually impossible by the very definition of a hallucination for a hallucination to happen to a group, right? One person may hallucinate, maybe on drugs, maybe whatever, and see something somebody else may see, but for them to see the same thing in hallucinations of their nature are individual and personal. And mass hallucinations just don't happen. Number six, the radical change in the disciples' lives. What else could account from the disciples going from fearful cowards to bold witnesses? To the fact that they are willing to die for their faith, friends, other than something happened to change their mind, to, to, to re-energize them. We believe that's the resurrection. Number seven, along with that, how about the change in James and Saul? Hey, we've already talked about this, but James Jesus' half-brother, Saul, who then became Paul, um, this is huge. Both of these men were skeptics. They were unbelievers. Saul even persecuting the church, friends. And then something happened that changed their minds. Something happened that not only changed their mind, it changed their life. And they both began not only claiming that they'd met the risen Lord, but they began preaching that Jesus had risen from the grave. What accounts for that if not for the resurrection? Then there's a the simple fact that we've already talked about, the change in the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. The fact is that something happened around A.D. 30 that caused a large number of Jews to stop worshipping on the Sabbath and start worshipping on Sunday. What could have caused this? We believe it was the resurrection, as the Scriptures say. Number nine. Then there's the fact that we talked about the women were the first eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. Some people, um, in first century Jewish culture, the testimony of women held no water in court. So it is inconceivable if the resurrection was made up that they would actually... Say that women were the first eyewitnesses. If you were to make that story up back in that day, that is not the story you would fabricate at all. Number ten. Then we have something else that we had not even mentioned this morning. What about the differences in the gospel accounts? Now, some people use this and they say, well, Pastor, listen, when you read, we read Matthew this morning, when you read Mark, Luke, and John, uh, each account of the gospels, things don't appear to exactly match up and so forth. I believe it all does match up, Okay? But the reality is, what many people want to use as a, um, a, a negative is actually a positive. Listen, if you talk to any interviewer of people who are eyewitnesses of a story, you know what's one of the biggest indicators that, that a story has been made up is when several people tell exactly the same version. Everybody's got their own viewpoint and so forth and so God in his wisdom allowed us to have some different viewpoints here and that does nothing but actually authenticate the gospel they didn't choreograph their stories it actually adds authenticity think about the moral character of the eyewitnesses it's not like as I've already said Matthew Mark Luke John Paul Peter all of these guys began to start start telling people to steal and lie and cheat they told them to love each other and forgive one another and be kind to one another What's the likelihood that these disciples, godly men by all accounts, fabricated, lied, and made up this story? And then there's the character of Jesus himself. Jesus' character is such that almost no one questions the character of Jesus himself. His character is impeccable. Most all people, even um, false religions, you know what Hindus will do? They'll say, yeah, okay, let's bring Jesus on as just another God. Islam. Islam will agree that Jesus was a good prophet, well, listen, if Jesus was a good prophet, if Jesus was a good man, if he was a good moral teacher, you know what he also claimed? Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed that there was no other way to the Father except through him. He claimed that he would rise from the dead. So, listen, he can't be either, he can't be a good moral teacher and claim these things unless they're true. Either he's lying, at which point, yeah, we need to, we need to throw it out, right? Or he's crazy, possible, but, but he teaches such Good things, or it's the truth. And the last, but definitely not the least, is fulfilled prophecy. Of all the evidence that has already been presented, we've not even touched really on um, the fact of all the prophecy from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. By most estimates, there are 60 major messianic prophecies in the Old Testament and over 300 prophecies and predictions in all. Written, all of them, at least 400 years before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth. Some of them, a thousand years or more, before Jesus walked on the earth. All fulfilled in one person. What are the odds? What's the likelihood that all those could be fulfilled in one person? A couple of guys set out to try to determine that. I don't know their process and so forth. It's in a book called Science Speaks, written by Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. And they thought, what are the odds that one person could fulfill these prophecies from the Old Testament? They first started and said, um, all right, I'm going to need you to help me up there because this, there we go. They first said, uh, what's, the, what's the odds, if we just take eight prophecies, what's the odds that one person could fulfill eight prophecies? One in ten to the 17th power. See, some of you counting that out. I don't know, that's a, a gazillion, a billion. I don't know. What is it, right? What's the, what, what is that? Anybody know? Uh, what? quad billion, that no, was just quadrillion, okay? 1 in 100 quadrillion, okay? That's the odds of 1 in 8. Now, they into it. what's the odds of, of him fulfilling 1 uh, just 48 prophecies. Uh, in 48 prophecies, the odds are 1 in 10 to the 157th power. You can go read about this. What have you? We could talk more about it, and what exactly that looks like. The first one is like filling the whole state of Texas, uh, I think it's a a foot deep in um, quarters, and then going picking one, the odds of picking that one quarter that is the one. It is astronomical, friends. It is highly unlikely, impossible, unless, unless it was of God. Which brings us to the question of the day. What do you believe? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Do you believe? What will you decide about Jesus. Was He who He said He was? Because here's the deal, and no matter what, friends, you need to acknowledge this. Um, If the resurrection is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, here's what it means. It means that Jesus was who He said He was, God in the flesh, right? And if Jesus was God, then it means He did what He said He did in paying for our sins. It means that the Bible is true, that God is real, that He deserves our worship, that we are accountable to Him, friends, and that trusting Jesus as Lord is the difference between heaven and hell. What will you decide? You know, a verse that we talk about often is this verse, Romans 10, 9. It says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's two important parts to that. The second part says that we must believe that God has raised Him from the dead. In other words, that Jesus was who He said He was, that He proved that He has power over death. And if He raised Him from the dead, it means that He died on the cross, that everything He said He was doing there, and that, 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 that this is my body which is broken for you, and this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant. All of that is true, friends, if we believe that what He did, what we celebrate today, is a historical fact and it's true. But there's something else... There to being saved. What's the first part of that verse say? It says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we gloss over this and we say, Okay, I've got to confess, and just, Yes, I believe you, Jesus. It's more than just intellectual belief, as we've talked about in our series on the book of James, friends, but it is surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Listen, Jesus is God, and He came to earth to be a man in order to do all of, to save us from our sins. But the Bible tells us that He was there in creation, and He is worthy, as we sang this morning, of all of our worship. And so that he, rather than us, ought to be on the throne of our lives. See, we're all born with an innate nature that wants to live life our way and do lo- what we want to do. And what we learn if, as we do that, friends, is that we do things that aren't right. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll all admit that. So how do we reconcile that? How does all that work out? What about one day when we stand before God and we have to give an account of our life? How do we do Listen, here's the deal. When we all stand before God one day, we're all going to stand there guilty. But Jesus says here in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Listen, this is a good man, a moral teacher, saying this. So much more. He's so much more. He is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ, who is worthy of our worship, who died for your sins, who is the only way you can spend eternity in heaven with God is by putting your faith and trust and making Him the Lord of your life. What does that look like, Pastor? It's as simple. It's as simple as praying and asking Christ to come in your life. We use what we call sinner's prayer. Nothing magical about the words of the prayer unless it expresses the desire of your heart. Saying to God something like this and, and, and acknowledging, God, I'm a sinner. I realize that my way is not the right way. I've sinned against you, and I trust that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I, I trust that you are who you say you are, that you rose from the grave. And I surrender my life. I turn from living life my way, my sinful way, and myself on the throne of my life. And I'm willing to put you on the throne of my life. So you just ask Jesus to come into your life. Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please come into my heart. Save me from my sins. I believe you died for me and rose again. It's as simple as a prayer, friends, but it's as hard, the most difficult thing you'll do because you've got to surrender your will to his will. But what, is in the, what hangs in the balance? Eternity hangs in the balance eternity hangs in the balance you can leave here today and you can reject everything I've said and you can live your life and you may even live a happy life that's fine and your kids grow up and you live on your kids love you and you love them and all this other friends but one of these days you're going to face death what's on the other side how do we know all this that's why God gave us his word you say well if there's a God then why doesn't he tell us he did it's right here would you trust him would you believe I believe we have more. God has left for us. Does it take faith? Yeah, absolutely it takes faith. But it takes faith to believe in anything that we haven't actually seen with our eyes. It takes faith to believe in certain some things that you see on TV. They're supposed to be real, right? It takes faith. We have more than enough evidence God has left us with to believe. Will you today surrender to His Lordship in your life? Let's pray. Friends, you're here this morning. You say, yes, pastor, I'm ready. I need Jesus in my life. I believe. I believe seen everything you said and and and, and man it makes so much sense i've never actually seen it that way and today yes i need jesus in my life and so here's what you need to do so pastor what i do right now would you just pray to god and say lord jesus i'm a sinner and i know i need you as my savior i believe that you died for me and you rose again right now i want to invite you to come into my life i turn from doing things my way and i surrender to you as the boss of my life please save me make me your child Take me to heaven when I die. Friends, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that is your desire today and you've called out to Him. You know it's a promise of God that He will save you through what Jesus has done for you. Maybe some of you are here today and this message is not to bring you to salvation, but maybe it's to solidify your faith. Maybe you've taken a a step of faith, but you've had doubts and you've had questions. My hope is that this morning this helps you to, to, to be strong in your faith to be able to go out and help others come to know Christ as well. Friends, today, would you commit to the Lord to say, Lord, I believe that, that, that you are the answer to people's problems. That people need you. And I want to allow, Lord, I, I want to surrender myself to just be used by you in whatever way you want to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for, um, Lord, just all of the testimony and the, the evidence and the things that you've left for us, Lord. We don't have to take some blind leap of faith you have given us more than enough evidence to believe. As we come today, Lord, I pray that you will endow each one here, Lord, with the faith to believe you fully and trust in you completely and wholeheartedly. And that their lives would be changed from this point forward. Lord, that they would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for you. How can we believe the things that we've talked about this morning and go out and never mention it outside of these doors? And it not affect our lives? Lord Jesus, forgive us for that and do a work in our hearts today, Lord, for complete surrender to you. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks, and have a great week.